This is a really special day for us as a church. It's a day we're calling Racial Reconciliation Sunday. And so for our network of churches, they have issued a call for us to participate in a Racial Reconciliation uh, Sunday and just really get us focusing on this. It's a really cool season uh, in the life and the history of our network. For the first time, our network has an African-American uh, president, which is really, really cool, and uh, we're just really excited about that. We think it's indicative of, of what God is doing and just the unifying power of the gospel. And so here's how we're going to open up our morning. Rather than just jumping right into uh, the sermon like we normally do, I'm going to uh, do a little bit of an interview with uh, one of our own, Deborah Parker. And uh, Deborah is just a wonderful woman. She loves the Lord. Uh, she's been a part of our church now for uh, let's see, since Easter of last year, and she's just, just great, and we love her. And I really think what this is going to do is, is hopefully just soften our hearts to uh, the sensitivity of the issue that we're talking about for many people, and, and I think it'll really just kind of set us up uh, for just going into it with sensitivity and understanding and love and grace. And so I'm going to invite Deborah up here. You guys give her a hand. <laughs> And I'll say this, it's not easy to, uh, to do this, is it? <laughs> so give me a hug. We're glad you're here. Thanks for doing this for me. You grab a seat right here. <laughs> and we're going to uh, make sure this microphone's on. That one's yours. Yeah, you just talk into it, okay? And uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to ask her a few questions and get her talking a little bit. And uh, she said, normally I don't have a problem talking, but... <laughs> Well, this is a little intimidating, isn't it? <laughs> you, feel, you feel compassion for me, what I go through now, right? Yes. Every yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Deborah's great, and uh, just so, so grateful for her, and she's been a, a tremendous encouragement uh, to me. And I'll, I'll let you know, uh, I'm a, I cheated a little bit and talked to her beforehand, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of lead you a little bit okay. in uh, some of the things I just think were helpful for me. Tell us quickly where you grew up, Deborah, so that everybody can kind of know that. Birmingham, Alabama. So she grew up in Birmingham, Alabama in the 90s, right? Oh. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to throw you a bone here. I'm trying to throw you a bone here. So Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, we won't say what decade, but it wasn't long ago at all. And so uh, <laughs> we'll tell them then, so it'll help them out in just understanding the era. 1950. Yeah. Six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so would you, would you tell everybody, just tell us a little bit about your neighborhood and, and, and kind of what that was like in particular with, uh, you know, being an African-American woman in the neighborhood uh, that you grew up in in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, growing up in Birmingham, we saw the clans on the, we knew of them. And we had times to go to the store. You know, our mothers taught us in the early age, you know, to go to the store, and we went back at a certain time, someone would have to come looking for us because kids disappeared, you know. And our, our parents was always worried about us. And uh, my brothers, which I got four siblings older than I am, so they went to high school when it was just being iterated, you know. So it was hard on them just to you know, participate in school with the teachers and learning. And I was telling Joshua about the time, my oldest brother, only way you can take class picture if you made the A honor roll. And I, 
I don't know how many, but just three uh, black kids made it out of about 75, you know, white kids. So my brother being the only boy, he got beat up bad, you know. So he wouldn't take the picture. But my father said he had earned the right to take the pictures. So he took the picture being beat up, black eye, and everything, you know. So that was hard because I was in elementary school, but we hadn't started going, you know, having the segregation at the elementary school. But most of the things that we lived through was like my brothers, you know, they always had to have the girls with them. It was easier than them to be walking by themselves. You know, we knew that. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so the pictures would then go into the school yearbook, yearbook. and the, the white kids didn't want African Americans in their school yearbook, so they beat him beyond recognition, you were saying. Just to, just to keep him from taking the pictures. Yeah, yeah. But he took it anyway. Yeah, so yeah. And, and so you had mentioned to me about how for him being an honor roll student, he, he, he got flack on both sides. Explain that a little bit, if you yes, would. Yes, he got, because uh, the kids in the neighborhood, you know, were uh, teasing because they thought he was trying to be like the white kids. Because he was learning. And he would do his work, you know. It was 11 of us, so couldn't, they couldn't do nothing but talk, so. <laughs> you know, but it was hard Straight for him numbers, to play. Yeah. yeah, it was hard for him to play like you know basketball yeah. and hang out with him. But yeah, yeah, you know, so it's slack on both sides. You smart, you doing the wrong things, and yeah, yeah. So it was hard. So he was the first segregated high school, and yes. then you were behind him in an, in an all black uh, uh, or integrated high school, and you were in a segregated elementary school. Yes. By the time you got up, yeah, it, it had. You know, blending out a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. then, but then we had uh, oh sweat. Uh, we had light-skinned teachers. We didn't have white teachers in our elementary school, but mm -hmm. the light-skinned teacher would be just as mean mm -hmm. against. Cause everybody wanted to be on the standards of being better, cause that's what you know was going on mm -hmm. during that time. Yeah, and like I told Josh. It wasn't like we was planning on being part of history. We was just trying to survive, mm -hmm. you know. And they used to terrorize the neighborhood, especially late at night, and throw trash and throw things in the yard, you know. It'd be kids, you know, white kids. Mm -hmm. And my father used to have to clean up the neighborhood, him and several other men, you know. You had to know everybody in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And, um and from what you told me, it sounded like your father was a really godly man. Oh, yes. He did not play that. He worked hard. <laughs> he did not play that. If it wasn't for God, he's like, I don't know where y'all would be, but I know where he used to always tell it. And even, I was telling Josh how they used to have the signal in uh, church. Because we as kids making a joke like, oh, they're not going to church. We don't want to go to church because they sing the same old song. But my father was telling us it's, some, it's a message in that song. As we get older, we'll understand. But we didn't know it was certain things going on in the neighborhood, you know, for us learning how to vote, who's going to come through the protests and stuff like that. 
So they used to sing songs so everybody would know what's going on at, you know, through the neighborhood. Because mm -hmm. we couldn't come out and put up a sign, a poster saying, we're going to have this meeting or have that meeting. Because you'll get jumped on or your house get, you know, targeted or something like that. And so you had people, friends and, and people that you knew whose houses were actually burnt down yes, in the midst of all of this. Yes, just burnt down, mm -hmm. just burnt down. Yeah. Uh, either be targeted to the point that they either, you know, have them walk the street and do unnecessary things because they can do it, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. And yeah. crossing the street was a reality for us. But my father, being uh, a Christian man, it was people in the neighborhood, white uh, store owners, that actually uh, loved him and respected him because of the person he was. Mm -hmm. So we went to the store and we go in the store and being the black kid, you knew you had to stand back and wait till the white, you know, be waiting on or wait till we ask what we want because we couldn't touch anything. So we used to have to always send a lift. Mm -hmm. And the store owner used to remind people, let the Parker children come up because their mother you know, be waiting on them if they don't get back at a certain time. Mm -hmm. He knew that. And back then, you can get, you know, you can get credit at the store. Not too many. We was very proud. My father mm -hmm. very proud that he could get store credit where he didn't have to have the money. Mm -hmm. He just paid when he got paid. Right, you know? right. Yeah, so keeping the tab. Being, yeah. being a Christian, it paid out. You know, mm -hmm. that was our early learning. Yeah, and so there, there, there was some, some people who were kind of breaking the mold a bit. Yes. And uh, we're showing you guys some love, but it was still very, very segregated. And, and you were saying, especially, obviously, in, at that time, uh, in, in the churches even, right? Yes, even in uh, church. But like I said, uh, I was telling Josh about when we used to have to go to the store, and my mother used to always say, Lord, Lord, you know, and I'm like, she go, we ain't going to get what we want. You know, that's what I'm thinking, Lord, Lord, she don't want to buy us nothing. But come to find out, that was her way trying to find out was one of the storekeeper a Christian, so she won't be mistreated like you know, coming touching things or something. She'll say, "Lord, Lord." So one of the ladies that working you know in the store mm -hmm. would come to her and ask her what she wanted and be polite. That was their way of being, you know, right. finding out who's, you know. Who's going to be gracious. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But they have to be, uh, white people have to be careful in being polite to blacks, too, because they'll be targeted, you know. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality of right. growing up down there, right. so. Yeah, yeah. And so, so you were saying that, that people even, you know, you couldn't even try on clothes oh, no. uh, at the stores. No. And um, it's, it's certain people that will allow you to, you know, Pick the clothes, you know, go through the clothes, but mm -hmm. it's just certain people, you know, you can go to the store, uh, go to the shop and take the kids in there and actually, you couldn't try them on, mm -hmm. but at least you can look without somebody saying what you want, if this what you want, you know, they'll mm -hmm. take it off the rack, is this what you want? Yeah. So. So Lord, Lord was a little undercover. Yeah, a little saying, undercover. Let me find a Christian around? person. <laughs> yeah. might be gracious to me. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's, uh, I think that's really helpful perspective. I mean, who, who would have thought that you can't even try on an outfit, you know, at a, at a store um, without the, somebody being gracious and, and even themselves risking themselves by being gracious to you, you know? Is, yeah. Uh, is, uh, I couldn't imagine being a parent like that because we used to look at our parents like, 
they could take on anything, but there were certain things they didn't cross the line. But mm -hmm. they always explain why they didn't do certain things. Right, right. They didn't leave us guessing. It was a reason. If we was embarrassed for them, they'll tell us about the reason they did such and such, mm -hmm. you know, when yeah. we got home. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the norm. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. That Now, bring us inside the doors of, of your church for a minute, if you would. And so, what, what was the music like in the church? Give me, give me some of that, because, oh. you know, I'm about as white as they come. And I, I'm telling you, <laughs> I would love, I love that. I yeah. want to hear a little bit more about that. Well, so it was loud. Let me tell you that. It was loud. <laughs> and we as kids enjoyed, it was a safe haven for yeah. us to be loud, too, because yeah. we Parents was in good spirit, and we used to sing, and I'm talking about dance and shout and and all the tambourines. Mm -hmm. We run the kids play with them, yeah. but just like we had connect the kids up here upstairs doing little things. We used to do uh, what we call is face face cloth now, but we used to tap the old towers and cut them up so the people that was marching through, you know, doing the, um, when we was trying to get our rights together, we used to tear, tear you know, old towels and make them into face claws. That's where we got to turn face rags, you know. Mm -hmm. And most people now, when I say, oh, I'm get a face rag, they remind me, it's face cloth. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was rags back then, because we never knew how many people were going to come. And mm -hmm. of course, people washed up and wanted to wash their face. And, and church, we'll be packing, doing those things, but singing. And when nobody be the wiser, we, they'll tell when the meeting, the next meeting, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to have revival at such and such person house. And, mm -hmm. That was part of the meeting, mm -hmm. you know. We were raised to do the tower work and yeah. canned goods. And we thought we was big because we were doing grown people stuff, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. that was our time. But we had some good time in church. Well, yeah. I have good times here, too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I have learned to enjoy the Lord no yeah. matter where I'm at. Yeah, so, praise God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. That's great. And, and so I, I remember you were telling me how church was – it's kind of the one place that you guys could really gather because people knew that, of course, you're doing church every week. And so that be, kind of became your, your rallying point yes. where, you know, uh, people could come and, 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 and kind of teach and, yeah. and rally and, rally and really and prepare for. Rally and get your spirit for, together. Yeah, yeah. Get your spirit together for, it's like putting on the armor for mm -hmm. the rest of the week. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. let down your God when you know God, you know, you're in the mm -hmm. house of the Lord. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that was a good thing. You see people smile that you normally wouldn't see smile. Because mm -hmm. it was tense to walk the neighborhood. It was, you was taking a chance to go to the store. You was taking a chance to be outside, you know, mm -hmm. when dog come. If a strange car come through the neighborhood, mm -hmm. you know, we had the houses that sit up off the ground. Mm -hmm. So it's a reason they stayed clean under there, too, because we yeah. always had to, you know, Right, right. And so, um, so for, for church then, gathering was, was often a place where they could actually communicate messages, like you were saying, through, mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. song, beyond just the, obviously, singing the gospel and singing the truth of Jesus, but you could actually communicate, you know, here's some things that we're going to be doing uh, in mm -hmm. protest and in preparation for the coming of this speaker. Yes, or, yes. Um, and so it's kind of the rallying point. And so people didn't really uh, interfere with, with church, but if you were to meet, say, at a civic center uh, for a gathering, it would be Yeah, and could too many yeah. people gather at the uh, 
you know, different houses. You can, you can gather more in church than you can at someone's house. Cause mm-hmm. that'll become suspicious. Yeah, yeah. So everybody had a different place to go and you would get that just like we would get the, uh, you know, like you said, read some such and such and mm-hmm. uh, this person gonna read some such and such and you have your name on that so you'll know what house you're gonna go to. So it wouldn't be too many people at the same house so you wouldn't be standing out, yeah. you know. Wow. And yeah. then on um, being this Sunday, we have our black church the white church would be too busy doing their thing, you know. They had their churches to go to because mm-hmm. we lived on a, lived at a house where my father. It was a big house, and a little house was more like a farm. But the man was very nice because my father helped him out during a storm and gave him a job and a place to stay because he said he didn't need just a job. He had five kids at mm-hmm. the time. I was the baby at that time. <laughs> and so you lived on on the little house in the man's property that your father had helped out. Uh-huh. And, and uh, he, but they you guys went your separate ways on Sunday and he was a Christian we'll go to church. He was a Christian and he'll go to his church and we'll mm-hmm. go to ours but we couldn't we didn't interact right. on Sunday because we can see him having guests at his house. Mm-hmm. But we couldn't go up but through the weeks like him and his wife the older couple they'll walk to the school bus sometimes to meet us if, mm-hmm. you know, my father is busy, you know, give us those big old pears and apple that seemed like they were huge at the time, you know. He was very nice, but he couldn't let his other friend know that, you know, the help and, you know, the owner mm-hmm. didn't coincide. You didn't let people know right. that you was being friendly toward, you right. know. So the one day that we should clearly if any, come together was the day that you actually were most apart. Apart. And he was good all through the week, but come Sunday, it was Mm -hmm. a separation. Yeah, yeah. And that's so... It it became the norm, mm -hmm. you know. What my father said, that's him and his God, and I know the God I serve. You know, Mm -hmm. my dad, my dad found a lesson in everything. It's like, Mm -hmm. he could have been a teacher. Yeah. You know, he found a lesson in everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, I think that gives us really good perspective as we think about unity and, and reconciliation, just a, a really strong perspective on, on even b- among Christians, you know, people who are professing Christ and have the unity of the Spirit, yet mm-hmm. not, not there. And not, yeah. not there, but, yeah. you know, we all have to give an account for our own spirit and our mm-hmm. own relationship, and that's what my father was yeah. teaching us. It wasn't about the people, it's about who you are as a person, right. you know, if right. you believe in God, you stand on your faith, you don't try to bring somebody over, mm-hmm. convince somebody to do this because it might not be their time right. and not, you know, it's not left up to you, it's yeah. left up to God to yeah. change them. So you can't be just mad because the white man told you, well, we can't get do no better. My dad said, that's no excuse. Stop yeah. looking for an excuse, do it. Mm. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. I brought you here for a purpose. Yeah. Oh, you just do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate your perspective and your humility, and uh, in all of this, have, you know, still coming out with such optimism and faith in the Lord, and, and here we are today, and I think it's a sign of what God's doing. And uh, so uh, I'm really thankful that you uh, share with us today. And I just want to, can I take a minute to pray for Deborah and pray for our time as we get into God's Word uh, this morning? And I'm just, again, so thankful for you. Father, thank you so much for the testimony of Deborah Parker. Uh, her, her, her siblings, 
her, her mother, her father, and how your grace has been on their family uh, to bring them to the place that they're at uh, today. And Lord, thank you for her faith and thank you for the perspective that she brings and the wisdom that she brings. And Father, I pray that we would just continue to see more and more and more reconciliation that only comes from Christ. And so we plead with you for that to happen. We ask for that to be visible among us. And it, Lord, that it wouldn't just be something we act out, but it would really be who we are, that we're unified in Christ. And so, Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would illuminate scripture to our hearts and minds, that we would really uh, get a grip on uh, the truth of, of your word, Lord, and that it would really change us, transform us from the inside and then outward into our, our actions. And so, Father, we uh, commit it to you. We commit those to you and our church family who are here, who are hurting in various places of lives, we pray that their lives, we pray that it would be encouraging to them. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, for just, just those who are here and need to hear from you. And uh, we just pray that you'd give them what they need, Lord, that you would, you would challenge and convict, but you would also encourage and bless as you uh, can do so aptly with your word. And so we commit this morning to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Give Deborah a hand. <laughs> All right, well, it's Racial Reconciliation Sunday. Been looking forward to this for quite a while. And if you've been around our church for any length of time, uh, you've hopefully come to know that we deeply believe that this is to be more than just a a Sunday church service. We believe that our our, our Bible calls us to live uh, lives that are deeply connected as as a community of, of Christians who are marked by the transforming power of the reality of the gospel, which is the good news or the, the, the message of Jesus. And it is our hope to display to Boston and beyond that Jesus has completely changed us, that he has completely reoriented our lives, that, that the message of Jesus is not simply uh, information on a track that somebody hands out to you at Downtown Crossing, but that the message of, of Jesus is real, that it's, it's tangible, that it's uh, deeply applicable to, to everyday life, that, that Jesus infiltrates uh, the, the, the corners of our world and brings healing and restoration and hope and and reconciliation. That's, that's the message of Jesus. And in our nation in particular, uh, one of the areas that we most desperately need to see the healing, hope, rest, restoration, and reconciliation of Jesus is this area of, of race relations. It's considered to be the, the darkest stain on U.S. history. Uh, slave trade, segregation, churches, that are in, in favor of these injustices or simply churches that are just silent on these injustices, and it has been ugly. And we should not ignore it and act like it didn't happen simply because it can kind of be uncomfortable. Instead, we should talk about it, and we should talk about it with our Bibles open. And so let's do that. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, so where we're going to be. Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. And if you need a Bible, we have Bibles provided there in the seats for you. And if you don't have one back at home, take that one home. It's our gift to you. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 16 is where we're going to be. And while you're turning there, let me just be an open book. Lay my cards on the table a little bit here. And for those of you who are listening online, if it's not obvious, full disclosure, I am a white boy. 
And so I understand that I speak out of a, a particular cultural experience. And because of that, I just may say something that comes across offensive. And let me just tell you that that is not in any way uh, my intention at all. I just simply want to, to serve our church family and hopefully our neighborhood and, and this city by providing biblical understanding on a really challenging topic. I know that not many people are, are talking about this, and so in many ways this can kind of be uh, uncharted territory. And, and I want to just humbly and selflessly uh, seek to pioneer these waters, and, and we'll do this together. And so it might be uncomfortable, it might be a little risky getting into it, but let's get into it if we can. I also want to say that I am completely aware of this phrase that maybe many of you have heard before, white privilege. In America today, 65 to 68% of American adults are classified as, as white. And so by the nature of being the majority, there are certain societal privileges that come with being a, a, a white person. By being majority in any given location at any given time, there is some kinds of, of privileges that come, unfortunately. In, in the broadest sense, there, there is the, the freedom to assume the, the universality of your own experience, right, where everybody else is the exception because you are the, the majority. And that, that just comes by nature of being uh, the majority. And, and this is a reality for, for people of color that, that I think many white people don't really see and understand. And I know that some people say, oh, no, 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 no. I worked hard to get where I am. And listen, let me say, I am not in any way denying that you've got hard to, to get where you are. But the reality is, is that it doesn't necessarily mean that, that everyone who works just as hard started at the same level playing field. You understand? I think that's really important for us to, to get. Uh, some of us need to, to, to really understand the fact that there was very early oppression for African Americans in particular that they faced by white Americans and by oftentimes professing Christians. And so there is a real thing, majority race privilege. And it can be an uncomfortable reality, but it's a reality. And we need to acknowledge that. No matter the nation, no matter the race, there's majority race privilege. And so I say that to say that I'm not naive. I, I'm aware of the cultural experience that I'm, I'm speaking out of and, and, and preaching on something that is likely most sensitive for people who have a cultural experience that I don't particularly have. And so I, I've done my best to, to seek to try to connect and, and relate as best as I can. But with sincerity, I just want you to know I'm, I'm seeking to contribute to, to reconciliation. So that's where I want to go. And so I just had to give my, my cards on the table a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, we had a little parent-student-teacher party uh, at the school for my, my seven-year-old son, uh, Isaiah, in his class. And uh, his class is just beautifully diverse. It's one of the things I love about Boston Public Schools, just beautifully diverse. Uh, of course, there's, there's uh, black kids, African-American, uh, Jamaican, African second-generation, uh, Haitian, Caribbean Islander kids in his classroom, 
There's uh, white children, Caucasian children, uh, white kids like uh, my little man, uh, some, some Irish kids. There's Asian, Chinese, and Korean in his class. There's uh, Latino, there's Puerto Rican, and Dominican, and Brazilian, and, and, and numerous combinations of these races. It's a beautiful mosaic of kids in this little class, and I'm always amazed at that when I go to the school or go to a performance that they do and see the kids up on the stage and say, this is really a unique cultural experience that that my kid has that, that not every child is, is, is you know, raised in. And uh, for that, my, my children are truly colorblind. I just love that. I, I love that. And with it being Black History Month last month, my, my kids had this, or the kids in the class had this little play planned. And uh, they were all excited to, to show the parents. And so we went in and uh, we uh, read some books that they had, had written. The kids r- wrote their own books. And then they said, all right, everybody, we're going to circle up and the kids are going to do their, their play, and it was a Rosa Parks play. You guys have heard of Rosa Parks. She was one of the, the leading ladies of the civil rights movement, and, and she was the one who was known for her refusal to get off of the bus or move to the back of the bus in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And so, of course, in the play, my, my son, being one of the couple of white kids in the, the class, gets the role. He gets casted as the role of the cop who pulls Rosa Parks off of the bus, <laughs> and I'm sitting in this moment in this class thinking, wow, this is terribly uncomfortable, isn't it? This is, this is, this is kind of weird. And my kid, he was a really good cop, but I just, I, I, too good, you know? And I said, this is, this is really, really tough. And then one of the, the mothers, who's an African-American, leans over, and she goes, this is so cool. I'm like, you, you think so? Okay, good. That's good. <laughs> she goes, this is so cool. When I was a kid, we couldn't talk this openly uh, about this stuff. And I thought, that's true, right? I mean, progress has been made. I mean, this is, this is really, really cool. That, that There's been a lot of a progress that has been made. But listen, even with all the years and, and all the progress that has been made, uh, what the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said, this observation that he made, it, it's true today. He, he said this. He said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, or in our case, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. He said, it's appalling. I mean, isn't it, uh, isn't it appalling that it's the most segregated hour in Christian America? We're kind of an anomaly in here as you look around at the mosaic of people. I grew up in a church that was 100% white. And I remember as a, as a child singing songs like, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. But then our children's ministry was not red and yellow, black and white. It was white. And so we could sing it, but it just wasn't a reality where I grew up. And it wasn't that we didn't have diversity like we have. We have diversity where I grew up. It just wasn't the case. It just wasn't the case. And when we, to be honest, when we sing red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, we're picturing the nations of the world, and we're picturing missionaries and, 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 and going to, to other nations as the great white hope and, and saving other nations with the message of Jesus. And we weren't really thinking about, we have red and yellow, black and white in our own backyard, and yet we're singing it, not even thinking it or, or seeing it. And I remember when I was 17 years old, uh, I, I received an internship at this church. 
my pastor called me into his office, and I thought I was in trouble. I mean, honestly, I thought I was about to get rebuked. I said, I have no idea what's going on, but this is not good when your pastor calls you into his office. And I walk into his office, I sit down, and he's sitting in this leather chair, and he's got bookcases all around the, the office. And he says, Josh, I want to give you an internship. I feel like God might be preparing you for ministry to, to be a pastor. And I said, wow, that's really cool. And he said, and I want you to start a ministry, and I'm going to give you $10,000. And what you're going to do with that is you're going to go start a ministry for the summer, do whatever you feel like God is calling you to do. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> I've been hanging out with these children with some of my friends, and we've been playing kickball and football and basketball with some children, and uh, I'd love to start a camp. And so we, we started this, this camp, much like our, our Kids Connect program, teaching the Bible, hanging out, playing, loving on, on families. And it was really, really cool. And and, and we wanted it to be more than just a camp, and so we started to bring these kids into church. And it honestly was the first time for the church that I grew up in that we started to see an array of colors in our, our church. And, and I remember thinking, going through it, just like, wow, this might actually be uncomfortable for these children. You know, coming in and there's nobody who is grown that is of color. And so I remember thinking, I, I want to experience what they're experiencing so that I can connect a little better and, and relate a, a little bit. And so I remember across the street was the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And it was a 100% African-American church. And so I said, I'm going, right? And, and I went into this church. And I remember walking up. The doors were open. It was a summer day. And music is blasting. I, I'm walking down the sidewalk. I see the pastor through the door. And he's sweating. And he's got his handkerchief going. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And I walked in there, and I tell you what, eyes definitely got wide. Like, for real right now? Is this really happening? And eyes got wide, and they looked around, and then we got back into it, and I got back into it. And I'm trying to clap appropriately. I'm getting in there. And it was, it was really amazing. You know, it was really amazing. And it was like three hours long, and so I won't do that to you today, but it was three hours long and uh, phenomenal. And, and I felt loved and, and cared for. People were gracious and and loving, and I learned a ton. I mean, I really did. I learned a, a ton. And I remember that really kind of set in motion a, a journey for me that I, I, I've been on uh, ever since 17 years old. And I remember leaving encouraged, but also leaving still kind of scratching my head, you know, kind of thinking like, okay, this is, this is interesting because I remember as a child, one of the first verses I memorized was Galatians chapter Three, verse 28, which says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus, right? And Jew and Greek is, is talking about race, nationalities. You are all one in, in Jesus. And I'm thinking, we're one in Jesus, but we couldn't worship in one church building, right? And, and I really struggled with that. And, 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 and I think we would all admit, even in the, both churches at that time, that we, we're unified. We love each other. There wasn't a lot of hostility as far as I understood. In fact, from, from time to time, my white church would pray for, for the black church across the street. And every now and again, he would come over and preach for us. And it was a really, really cool time. But I just remember thinking, why can't we just do this together, right? Why can't we just be the church together, I mean, it was sincere. We love them. They love us. But it practically wasn't taking shape. And, and, and here's what I want us to, to latch on to. And I think this is really, really, really important. And that is this, that unity, God wants us to be unified. Unity is, is not simply the absence of conflict. Unity is the presence of connectedness. 
Let me say that one more time. Unity is not simply the absence of conflict. Unity is the presence of a tangible connectedness. Something that we can actually see. It's not just a heart thing, but we can actually see real connectedness among people. And in my upbringing, that was not taking place. It just wasn't taking place. And, and truth is, across most of America today, it's not taking place. You have the black churches and white churches and oftentimes Asian churches and Latino churches and oftentimes speaking English, yet clustering in these homogenous units. I understand if, if there's language barriers, and I, I totally get that, but speaking English and, and still clustering in these homogenous principles, in the Greek, homos meaning same. Like, let's be with people who are like us, the same as us. It's a little easier, a little more comfortable, and so that's what we do. And if anybody has the power to break that, it should be the church of of Jesus, the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And so, I want to address it a little more with God's word. Should we be content in just being friendly, but not being connected? Let's, let's look at God's word here. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 16. Ephesians 2, 11 through 16. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called, by, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Powerful passage there. Verse 11, if you look at it, reminds the Ephesians, who Paul is writing this letter to, this church, these believers, that they were once called the uncircumcision. He says, remember, you were once the uncircumcision by the circumcision, which was a negative term that the Jews gave to the Gentiles, which would include many of us today. And, and, and circumcision, if you, if you don't understand the, the Old Testament uh, law, circumcision was this, this covenant symbol of the Jewish people that showed that they were, in fact, God's people. And, and by being a Gentile, not of the Jewish race, you were on the outside. Essentially, you were not pursuing God. And then in in verse 12, it says, Remember that you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from Israel. You were aliens. You were strangers to the covenant, having no hope and without God. Now, that stings a little bit if you're a non-Jew in that day. But fortunately for us, God's plan and salvation history doesn't stop there. And verse 13 is so huge, so huge for us even today. So he says, remember, you're separated from Christ, alienated, you're strangers with no hope, without God. Verse 13, but now. 
So things are, are different now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. And how? By the blood of Christ. By the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that whosoever would, would trust in what he has done for us by dying on the cross for our sin, those people then might become God's people, might then be adopted into God's family. Verse 14 then reads, He himself, Jesus, is our peace. He himself is our peace. See, Jesus brings peace. First of all, he brings peace with God. You trust in Christ, you have peace with God. We were once at odds with God because of our sin. But Jesus, in his death on the cross, paves the way restores that relationship should we just trust in his death, burial, and resurrection so we can be at peace with God, but also peace now with each other. Our relationships can be contentious at times, can be self-seeking at times, and can even be hostile at times. But if Christ is in you and Christ is in them, then there's peace. And it reads, he has made us both, what? One. He's made us both one. Now, now watch this. Look at verse 14. It continues. Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There was literally hostility among the two at that time, among the Gentiles and the Jewish people. Many of the, the Jewish people looked down their nose at the rest of humanity because you're not God's people. We are the Jews, right? And in so doing, they, they failed to, to remember that their Bible, the, 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 the Torah, says that all people are made in the image and the likeness of God, that all people are image bearers of God. And so there's this wall between the us and the them at that time. And many people were thinking, we're better than them on the outside. We're, we're better. And isn't that what? Racism essentially is, is saying I'm better than somebody. They're less than me. Dehumanization, that's what racism is. And you look throughout history and you can see genocide and, and mass murder, all kinds of things happening and you say it's, it's when somebody says I'm better. Dehumanization of, of another person. But Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility. Jesus had broken down the wall of hostility, and they are now included in God's plan for salvation. Now listen, this is really important. This is more than just a metaphor. It's a nice metaphor. It makes sense. There's a wall. It's, it's gone through Jesus. But, but listen, uh, around the outer courtyard of the Jewish temple, the Herodian Jewish temple at that time, was this dividing wall. And non-Jews were not permit, permitted to, to enter in. And in 1871, archaeologists found this stone. I want to show you this stone. They, they found this stone, which was a part of the dividing wall. And here's what it says. It says, whoever is captured will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. You go beyond this wall, you have yourself to blame because you will die. That was a sign on the wall of the Herodian era temple. And if you think about it, it's not much unlike these signs. Not too long ago, no colored allowed. Right? 
Or the whites will drink over here and the coloreds will drink over here. It's, it's shameful, right? It's just, just shameful. I mean, real division. But, verse 14, Jesus has made us both one. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Literal dividing wall of hostility. And as God's people, both, we can be unified in Jesus. Listen, as God's people, we must be unified in Jesus. It is not an option. It is not. Is that, would be, that would be really cute. Wouldn't that be great? No, it's, it, if you're God's people, this is a must. Remember the first word of this passage in verse 11? Therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, why is it there? What is it it's saying? What comes b- before? And so we need to look above and, and, and see what he has been talking about. And he's been talking about Ephesians 2. You probably memorized, many of you, 8 and 9. The gospel, right? The, the message of Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So he's saying, therefore, in light of that, in light of the message of Jesus, in light of his unmerited favor, which is not of your own doing, you did not earn God's favor. You cannot be good enough. And so if you're bad, there's room for you. There's hope for all of us. It's not of your own doing. See, many of the Jewish people became very self-righteous, very ethnocentric. It's all about us. We are God's people. We are so much better. Everybody else is subhuman. It's not what God intended. He says, you are a kingdom of priests. And they, they went the wrong direction with it. And tell me, what did you do to become one of God's people, Jewish people? You were born. And you were born with a certain skin color. You did nothing. You did nothing. You don't get credit for being born. Look at me. I crawled out. I'm alive. You don't get credit for that. Verse 8, so that no one may boast. You can't boast. You can't boast. You see the very real connection between God's election of the Jewish people as his chosen people and God's election of us today? You cannot boast. No one may boast. There has never, ever been a reason for you to boast. You didn't earn his favor. It's God. There's no reason that you can justify looking over this dividing wall that you put up and think I'm better than them. Never. In fact, today there is no wall. It's gone. And literally, historically, it was broken down. Really cool picture, huh? The reality. And some, from time to time, will say, Josh, I mean, the Christian faith is the most divisive thing on the planet with what they believe. Christian faith should be the most unifying, peacemaking thing on the planet based on our premise, which is we did nothing. He did everything. So there is, therefore, no room to look down our nose and say, look at me, I'm better than you. There's no room for that at all, ever. It should be unifying. Puts us all on the same page. Now, back to 15 and 16 of Ephesians chapter 2. Can I read that again for us? He broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. 
that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. I love the firmness of the language of Paul here. It's passionate. Killing the hostility. So he says, abolishing the law, believers are no longer bound to the Mosaic law, which separated Israel from other nations. The law determined things like how they would dress, what they should eat, even the length of their hair. And what it did, it didn't make them better, it made them distinct. Made them set apart so that the eyes of the world would be upon him so that at the fullness of time, the Messiah would come and people would actually see the Messiah and not these great people. That's the whole point of it. But he has come now. The Messiah has come. And the law is no longer binding. And those who are in Christ are now one man, it says, in place of the two. One man in place of the two. Verse 16 says Jesus has reconciled us both, both to God. In the broadest sense, Jews and Gentiles, which would be every, everybody else. And for you, it might be whatever race that you have issue with, if you do. And he's reconciled us both to God. Should we trust in in Christ? As I said before, he gives us peace with God, first of all. And I want to think about a triangle, if you can. Hopefully that will help. Here's the dividing wall. There's a triangle. And if you now have peace with God, that relationship with God that has been broken is now restored, and, and we both have peace with God, Naturally, what comes out of that is peace with each other. You're, you're to be unified. He's killed the hostility. How? By killing his own son on the cross, Jesus. It's a huge sacrifice, huh, for peace. To come down to earth, to be a man, live perfectly, be mocked, be beaten, and to die for the people that you were dying for. Be murdered by the people that you're, you're dying for. Now, Listen carefully. If God has made this tremendous sacrifice to tear down the walls, how dare anyone build walls back up? Jew, Gentile, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, anything else. How dare anyone build man-made walls back up after God went through all of that to tear them down? And with all this foundation that Christ has laid, how can we build a wall back up? He says, no, this is the foundation, no walls. Spiritual house, no walls inside. We're one. We're not going to go here and there. No, we're one. Christians should be the most unified people in the world. Jesus' high priestly prayer, I always call it his dying prayer, his dying wishes. In John chapter 17, he says this to God on his knees just before going to the cross. He says, I pray that they all may be one, just as I, Father, and you, and you are in me. saying, I pray that there would be unity among my people like there's unity within the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we can't be unified, man, the gospel is hard to believe, huh? I don't want that. It's not really doing anything tangible in their lives. As I said at the beginning, the gospel is more than words. It's more than something we mentally just ascribe to. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I'm, I'm down. No, it's a life-changing, world-shaking, reorienting reality. And racial reconciliation 
must be propelled by the gospel. And nothing else. It shouldn't be propelled by white guilt. I feel really bad that that was in my ancestry. It shouldn't be propelled by white guilt. It shouldn't be propelled by, wouldn't it be nice if we were a diverse church? That would be cute. No, it should be propelled by the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. That there's no hostility between God and man anymore should we trust in Jesus. Therefore, there should be no hostility between man and man who trusts in Jesus. That's what propels racial reconciliation. And with all this foundation, how dare anyone put up a wall on top of it that he doesn't put up? But it still happens today. It happens among professing Christians even. We've had people within our church family who've gotten flack from others for going to a white church. Professing Christians saying, you can't go there, it's a white church. We're like 60% white, I get it. But it's definitely not biblical. How dare anyone who says I'm a Christian say you can't go there. It's not biblical. I've seen white Christians who say we can't marry interracially. And they'll wrongly interpret Deuteronomy chapter 7, which says, do not intermarry with them. Listen, that's speaking to Israel intermarrying with people who don't follow Yahweh God. It's a God thing, not a race thing. It's a, who do you worship? Not what is your skin color. That's garbage. And that applies to us today too, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14. God says you need to be equally yoked with other believers. That means you shouldn't be marrying And if you're thinking about marriage, you shouldn't be dating somebody who's not a believer. This is not a race issue. It's a who's your God issue. That garbage, people speaking out against interracial marriage, even within the church, is so not biblical. In fact, interracial marriage is a beautiful picture of the hostility being done away with, the wall being knocked down. One of our guys He's since moved. I, I wouldn't talk about him this openly if he was here. And I don't think hardly any of you know him. He was a Mexican man married to a Korean woman. And her dad started hunting him down. And this guy, her father, was a well-respected elder, pastor, overseer at his church in the, the West or the East. And he hunted him down because he didn't want his daughter marrying a non-Korean. Can you imagine that? Professing Christian. There's also racism inside of race. Right? My boy Steve, he's a good friend of mine, got flack because he wasn't black enough. Grew up in Detroit, but he wasn't black enough. Kind of like the, the testimony of, of Deborah with her brother because he was getting good grades. He got flack for trying to be like the white kids. Insanity, right? White people, I'm not going to let you off the hook. For us, it could look like white collar versus blue collar, right? We're looking down our nose at other people. They're less than us. For our college students, it could be between colleges. Remember the opening scene of the Social Network movie? Harvard-educated Mark Zuckerberg. I know they're putting words in his mouth, but I think it... It's a little bit of a stigma that might actually be there. He, he looks down his nose at his girlfriend. 
And he says, you don't have to study. She goes, what are you talking about I don't have to study? He says, you've got to be you. <laughs> like, are you serious right now? Because he was Harvard educated. It's looking down your nose at, at anybody else. It's racism, elitism, dehumanization of another person, and it is never, never, never okay. With God's people, there are no walls. God says to Samuel when going to appoint David as the king, he says, listen, God doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the what? He says, God looks at the heart. So David might be small, but I'm going after the heart. And that applies today. Walls no more. I know that we are a far cry from the Jim Crow era. We're, we're, we're way outside of that. But listen, the fight isn't over yet. We don't stop because we made progress. We, we can't stop. It's like if you're running a race, you can't say, look how far I've come. I'm good. That's good. That's a victory. No, you run to the finish line until it's eradicated and you're done. There's no more race to run, right? That's what we need to do when it comes to racial reconciliation. We must keep walking in step with Jesus. And as walls keep being built up by people and institutions and even the church sometimes, we say no. We say absolutely not. We keep doing it until the walls come down. Each year our church in our short little existence as a new church, has issued a prayer theme. And a couple years ago, it was, um, we want to be a, a church that we have a lot of families. So we started praying for that. We're in Boston. There's not a lot of young families settling in. They usually move out. We want to see young families. The year after, last year's theme was diversity. This year's theme, we're praying for global missions, that we as a new church can engage globally. But last year's theme, diversity, we, we prayed. We said, God, would you diversify us? We want to reflect our neighborhood. We, we want to reflect our, our neighborhood. And, and especially in a neighborhood that says we value diversity, you look around and it's rare to see diversity in churches. And so we said, God, we want to. We want to show that it's not affinity, it's not skin color, it's not age that unifies us, it's Jesus. And so we prayed for it, and guess what? God answered the prayer. And we are so grateful for that. But let me say this. It's not a win if Sunday morning grows diverse, but our relationships don't grow grow diverse. You understand that? We can't just look around the room and say, there's diversity in here. Yeah, we did it. It's not a win if your friendships outside of the church building here aren't diverse. What have we really accomplished if we mix up in here? We've accomplished what public schools accomplish. We're the church, right? We're more than just a gathering. We're a deeply connected community of believers. Look back at Ephesians 2 again, 15 and 16. Jesus breaks down the dividing wall, and he creates what? He creates one new man, a new people, God's people. No longer identified by race, Jew, Greek, black, white, Italian, Dominican, whatever. No, a new people. They're now God's people. He doesn't look at us and, and, and say, well, well, that's great. Black people, white people, Italian people, American, um, uh, white, um, American, black, Ethiopian, Haitian. He doesn't look at us and say, that's who they are. No, he says, they're my people. Those are my people, a new people. Now, here's where it gets really challenging. Verse 16, 
in one body. My people in one body. Doing church together in one body. You combine those. One new man in one body. One new race in one body. One new man in one body. My people are not identified by race, God is saying. They're identified by Christ. And they're living life in one body, the, the church. Now, this kind of unity is hard work, isn't it? Let me just say that. I'm not calling this to something easy. It's, it's hard work. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, uh, Paul says this. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whatever I, uh, whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's something we've got to strive for. That unity, that one spirit, that one mind. It is hard work because we just naturally kind of drift away. We naturally drift into what we call homogenous units. Again, hamas in the Greek meaning same. We naturally just drift to people who are, who are like us. It's just easier, right? I mean, let's be honest. You can shake your head to that. Yeah, it's, it's easier, right? Koreans with Koreans, Hispanics with Hispanics, Caucasian with Caucasian, Haitian with Haitian, African-American with African-American. It, it's, just, it's just easier to drift towards your homogenous unit. Even college students with, with college students or young white yuppies with young white yuppies or blue collar with blue collar or white collar with, with white collar. It's just, it's just easier. Let me explain it outside of race for a minute if I can. For me, I can quickly connect with another young dad, right? But, yo, you got kids? Yeah. We just, we get it right there. It's like, yep. <laughs> we cut through hours of, of conversation that it would take for me to get a college student, per se, up to understanding what I go through every day of my life by being sleep deprived, by being truly busy, the pressures of putting food on the table. You just cut through hours, like, your dad, right? You just, we're just, we're there. We just get it immediately. One word, kids. Gotcha. I'm with you. I'm with you, man. But that applies to race too, right? It applies to, to race too. When we start to live out this kind of dividing wall free Christian faith and walk in diversity, we, we, we can't just say, hey, you got me? No, we have to, it's tough. You got to work so that you can get me, right? And I can get you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. That place that you can get to really quickly with, with people of your race or your cultural history, it's going to take some time. And some people just say, well, forget it. I'm just going to go to the church of young 20-something white hipsters because they're just like me and I get it. Or I'm going to go to the church with all people who are African-American. Or I'm going to go to the church of the singles because I like being around singles. It's just comfortable and they... They get me in my life stage. It's, it's easier. It's faster. I get that. There's a lot less fumbling around, right? But man, I, I believe that when you do that, you miss a huge ministry opportunity and you miss a huge personal growth opportunity as well. I'm telling you, pursuing diversity is worth it. it, it it's going to be worth it because you get to enjoy it and all that you're going to grow and learn in and you also get to display to the world the reality of the gospel. But, you know, it's a challenge, right? I mean, it is a, a challenge. Think about the early church and how much of a challenge it was for them. 
I mean, that was a, a challenge for them. Their, their, their journey, did they start out the walls down? Now we can hug and we can go eat a junior bacon cheeseburger together? No. It was, it was rough, right? It took some time to figure this thing out, to learn how we're going we're gonna to walk in this. So Acts chapter 6, there's this little rift that pops up in the church between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Remember that? They get a little rift in between them. Favoritism and food for the feeding of, of the widows. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter, who's a leader in the church, and he's a, a Jewish man, by God's grace and a vision, starts to connect with uh, this guy, Cornelius, of the Italian cohort. I like that. He's one of the sons of Italy or something. Cornelius, right? And he preaches this sermon with Cornelius and others around. And he says, this is his opening statement, his thesis statement. He says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. That's huge, right? That's his opening statement. I'm a Jew, but I understand now God shows no partiality. God falls on the place. People start getting saved and baptized right there. It's amazing, right? But then in Acts chapter 11, Peter goes back to the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He boldly proclaims to them, it's, it's all good. It's all good. We're, we're, we're one now. There's a dividing wall. It's, it's gone. But then check this out. Galatians chapter 2, he wimps out. He, he wimps out. And Peter, his original name was Simon, which means wishy-washy, wishy-washy vacillating. And we see it yet again in his life. Jesus changed his name. He says, no, you're going to be Simon. You're going to be a rock. But he was, or you're going to be Peter, a rock. But he was Simon, and he kind of goes back to his old self. Galatians chapter 2, here's what happens. Paul rebukes him, and he says, but when Cephas... Peter came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. He built up a wall, fearing the circumcision party. So Paul calls Peter out, doesn't he? He says, what happened, man? You were living it, and then you peeled, peeled back, and, and, and you, you got out of it. He drifted back to homogeny around people that he's most comfortable with, and I'm not going to let them know that I've been hanging out with different kinds of people on the other side of the, the dividing wall. And, and, and crossing these cultural boundaries can be really difficult and takes time to, to figure out. And for us as a church, it's going to take time to figure it out, but I, I really believe with all of my heart it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. And we're going to fumble around and and risk saying stupid things and not knowing what to say and offending people and having to define terms. Like, what do you mean by that? It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. My friend Mina here, for the longest time, I could not understand her strong Trinidadian accent. Like, what? I, so fast, beautiful accent. I just had the most difficult time. And now she is one of my dearest sisters in Christ. We worked through that. We walked through it. And she's one of my dearest sisters in Christ. You've got to grow to be a good listener and a learner of culture. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to do music. We're going to have to figure out how we're going to do meals together. We've got to figure out how we're going to befriend people that are not just like us because that's who we tend to drift towards. And what's required is going to be humility. Lots and lots of humility because it's hard and it requires selflessness. And what's also going to be required is grace to make mistakes because we're going to make mistakes. But the end result is what? One new man in one body, and it's going to be worth it.
Unity is not simply the absence of conflict. Unity is the presence of connectedness. And so we've got to pray to that end and ask God to connect us. And so I want to pray to that. And if you would close your eyes. While your eyes are closed, before I pray, I want to ask a question I ask just about every week. And that is, have you been reconciled to God? Have you been reconciled to God through Jesus? And if you haven't, Scripture says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out to him, be reconciled to him, and you'll be made right. So some of you in this moment need to call out to him, recognizing your sin and your need for him, recognizing that you're, you're at odds with him, and then be saved. And then believers, I want to ask you as we pray, will you join us in this journey of being what I believe Christ intended? That is a new man in one body, a new race in, in one body, God's people, different in every way, but the same and the only thing that really matters, and that is our faith in Christ. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for the time we have together to to look at an important topic. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, we just pray that you would do a good, good work in our midst, Lord, that we would be a people who display the reality of the gospel to the world. And for those in this room today who have yet to trust in Christ, who are far from Christ, Lord, I pray that they would see that you love them and that you want to reconcile them or restore, bring peace to the relationship again between them and you. So may they trust in you, Father. And Lord, in just a little while as we gather around the communion table, proverbial table as family, displaying unity and oneness. May we remember you and what you've done to allow that to happen. We'll be careful to give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.